0: Here's what God's Word says. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen. And to each kind of seed, its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. And there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory for the sun, another glory for the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, The first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the summer before I was going into my senior year of high school, I got my very first car. My parents were incredibly gracious to me and purchased for me a white Dodge Ram truck, and it was awesome. It was like the the barest, no, no bells and whistles. It was like just kind of the base level, but to me, it was amazing. I loved it. It was a beautiful truck, and I remember um, driving it that summer, kind of looking forward to the day that I would arrive onto campus for my senior year of high school on the first day and show everybody this great new truck that I had. And so, uh, unfortunately, in the middle of driving during that summer, I decided one day to go to a McDonald's for breakfast, pick up a nice sausage McMuffin. You know what I'm talking about? The the right way to start your morning. And... um, I go into the McDonald's drive through and much to my horror as I'm pulling into the drive through I hear this loud scraping sound all along the right side of my brand new truck. I can't quite assess the damage. I know it's bad, but I'm at the window to order. So I, I finish my order, and I get my sausage McMuffin, and I pull over, and I get, step outside to look at my car, and there is a giant streak of red, and it's dented all along the passenger side of my truck. I was crushed. I was crushed. I went home to my parents, told them, well, I didn't even have to tell them they just saw it, and they said, what, what in the world did you do? And I begged my parents to fix this before the first day of senior year, and my dad, being a good father, said, you need to go to school first, and then we'll fix it. So I did that, but as we took it to the body shop, there was so much damage to the body of this truck, they just simply said, look, it needs a new body. We have to just replace the whole bed of the truck. There's no salvaging this. There's no fixing this. This just needs a brand new body. And I think we too know what it feels like to look at our bodies and think, I need a new body. I need a new body. I would venture to guess that all of us have an answer to the question that maybe we've been asked at one point in our lives if you could change one thing about your body, what would it be? I bet all of us have an answer to that question. I bet that all of us know what it's like to look in front of the mirror and hate certain parts about our bodies and feel insecure about certain parts of our bodies. Or some of us look at the scars that our bodies carry either physical or emotional scars. And we feel the shame that comes with those things. Or some of us this morning know the wounds of trauma that manifest themselves in our bodies. Some of us know weaknesses, limitations, diseases, pains, aches. No matter who you are, It just seems to be a reality that no one is quite satisfied with their bodies. I don't care how fit or healthy you are. No one seems to be quite satisfied with their bodies. We need new bodies. The question will be, where will we look to find refreshing for our bodies? Where will we look to find new bodies? The audience of this letter, the book of 1 Corinthians, were Christians in the ancient city of Corinth, and they themselves were very disenchanted with the physical human body. They were kind of sick and tired of it, to be honest. They were really focused on the spiritual part of life. And as we went through the last several chapters, we saw that they were very focused on certain spiritual gifts, and a lot of their thinking was, well, we have spiritual gifts, therefore we are truly spiritual. We don't need the physical body anymore. We cannot wait until the day when we can shed this dreadful physical body and just be fully spiritual with God in heaven. That was their thinking, and Paul is writing to them in part to say, you're absolutely wrong. Not only are you not really spiritual because you're full of sin, But the future of life in Christ is a new body. God cares about our bodies. So much so that he promises to give us brand new bodies through the resurrection. So the invitation for us this morning with our broken bodies with the pain that we feel in them, with the dissatisfaction that we have in them, with the shame that we feel associated and attached to our bodies, is to look to Jesus for new bodies. As he starts to talk about this, the Corinthians have a question burning in their minds, and it's this, how in the world can a dead body be resurrected? It's dead. Those that have died and their bodies have been buried, how can that body be resurrected. But before he explains how that can happen, he explains something about God's design. First, he's going to focus on our natural bodies, and he wants to explain it to the Corinthians and also to us. Where he goes in this first section here, if you look at basically verses 35 through 41, he's going to explain to them something about bodies. We all have natural bodies. God has given every human being a body for this age a body for this age, and it is in and of itself, God, what God creates is good. No matter what you think about your body, God says that our bodies are good because he made them. He uses an analogy to help us understand this. He says, seeds have their own bodies. This is God's design. God has put life in a seed, and a seed has a body that is fit for its time as a seed but one day that seed will need to die and go into the ground and it will turn into a tree. It will have a new body. It is essentially one life fit in two different bodies and all different seeds have different kinds of bodies. And then he goes on to say, as we look beyond seeds, there are human bodies and animal bodies and bird bodies and fish bodies and all of them are designed and fit for their time. Our bodies were created by God to suit us for what we need right now for our time on earth. And our bodies, we need to, we need to remember this. It's not all bad. Our bodies are incredible things. The human body is maybe, I'm uh, not maybe, the human body is the most sophisticated organism on earth. It is unbelievable. That thing that you carry around with you every single day is unbelievable. All right? And I say that in the most non creepy way okay? Your body is amazing. Somebody's going to clip that, and it's going to be really bad news. But it's incredible. The way God has designed our human bodies is insane. We start from one cell, one measly cell, and it's an incredible little cell. We start with one, and by the time that we're born, we are made up of 26 billion cells. And every second... Your body is producing 25 million more. That's a lot. I, I can't. I was gonna figure out the math from when you got here this morning and how many you, how many cells you've developed this morning, but you guys got all here at all, all different times, so it doesn't really work. But you've made a lot of cells just being here today. 25 million every second. The human body is amazing. God's designed our bodies to have blood vessels all throughout our bodies, big ones, little ones, pumping blood and life everywhere they go. And if we were to take all of the parts of our body, all the blood vessels, we were to take them out of our body, if we could stretch them all out, it would be somewhere between 60 to 100,000 miles worth of blood vessels, enough to go around the earth over three times. Isn't that crazy? Like that sounds wrong. You're gonna go look it up later because you're like, I think he did the math wrong. That's how God made your body. It's amazing. I remember going to the eye doctor one time and him talking about the, the, the amazing beauty of the human eye and how there's nothing like it he would he loves the eye he's an eye doctor he would tell stories all the time and he would say hi this this patient one time who gave me permission to share this story and um, i i I did his eye exam and i was able to tell from his his eye exam that he had a significant heart issue and he was at risk of having a heart attack very quickly and i told him you need to go to the emergency room today the man's kind of freaked out shows up at the emergency room turns out he has about 80 percent blockage in his heart and he needed a quadruple bypass that day And all of that was figured out by an eye exam. That's how God made your body. Your body is awesome. The way God created it is incredible. But if none of that is enough for us to believe that, the biggest compliment to the human body is this. God put one on himself. Not only has God crafted and created billions upon billions upon billions of bodies with his word and with his mind and his hands, he has put all of these bodies together. Not only that, he made one for himself. And he sent his son Jesus to take on a human body. The eternal God would humble himself to take on the bodies that we have. And right now, Jesus Christ is, is resurrected, and a human body is seated at the right hand of God. That's incredible. God has designed our bodies fit for this age to accomplish what we need here, to work, to reproduce, to steward what God's given us, to enjoy our lives, ultimately to glorify God. But clearly, that is not our 24-7 experience of our bodies. Because even though we've been given a body for this age, our body has also been marred by this age. Our bodies have been wounded and infected by this age. We carry so many things in our bodies that we're not necessarily originally intended to carry. Pain, sickness, and ultimately death. We carry all of these things, not just theoretically, we carry them in our bodies. It's part of the effect of sin on the world. In fact, Romans chapter 5 says this, just as sin came into the world through one man, through the disobedience of Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis, the very first humans, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all have sinned. So sin has come into the world and it has infected all of us Not just spiritually, but physically, has affected our bodies to where our bodies now carry death and pain and sickness. It's been marred by this age, and so we have inabilities. Some of us have vision impairments. Some of us us have hearing inabilities. Some of us aren't able to move our bodies the way that others are able to move them. Some of us have afflictions. We carry with us sickness, diseases, allergies, chronic conditions. Some of us just know intimately the experience of our bodies simply decaying and breaking down, and we carry these aches and these pains with us. The body, the the scriptures would call this kind of body the natural body. That's where he goes here, to say that there are natural bodies and there are heavenly bodies. There are spiritual bodies. He says we have a natural body. It was made for this age, but it's been marred by this age. And when the author here uses the word natural, it means this, a natural body is the kind of body that is governed by its appetites and its passions. It's earthly in that sense. It is simply governed and controlled and led about by its own desires and passions. Essentially to say this, the natural body is that which we have in common with beasts, with animals, that just run off of instinct and nature and our passions and our desires. Our bodies have been ruled by those things because sin has come in and infected all of us. And every part of our bodies is impacted by sin. Every part of them. In fact, if you've read the book of Romans, and you know this, in Romans chapter 3, it describes the sinful condition of human beings. And this is how it describes it. Listen for all the body parts listed here. No one understands... No one seeks for God. All have turned aside, and together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps, this kind of snake, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace. They have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The effect of sin on the human body is that every part of our human body is broken by it. Every part is affected. To where we use every part of our body to sin against the Lord God. The very body that was created to glorify Him in everything that it does, to be fit and able to do that, now becomes the instruments we use. To rebel against him. The Bible also talks about our sin using this word iniquity. There's all different w- words for uh, sin that the Bible uses, but iniquity literally means crookedness or to be bent. That there is something about our nature and our bodies that through sin is just off. It's just bent. We have propensities towards certain things. Some of you have even seen this in your own families. Right Where one generation passes something to the next, to the next, to the next. There just seems to be this pattern of crookedness in one direction. Maybe for some of you that's addiction. Maybe for some of you that's just proclivities to, to other things or, or whatnot. But there's this crookedness that gets in us, in our bodies. So much so that the Bible says we can't do the things that even we want to do. The, the author of 1 Corinthians here would say in the book of Romans, the good that I want to do, I just can't seem to do it. I wonder how many of us have experienced that before, to feel like I want to obey God with this body he's given me, but just there's something going on and it feels like I just can't do it. You know, whenever there is a um, explosion or a disaster of, of sorts that happened on the earth, you hear this phrase, ground Ground zero. Right? Ground zero is the location for where everything gets started and everything happens in its most intense moments. It's ground zero. Some of you have probably visited um, a ground zero of the, of the 9-11 attacks um, before. But this, this idea of ground zero is this place where everything happens, where it all goes off. So much sin and devastation has taken place in our bodies that it has, our bodies have become ground zero for our experience of sin. When we start thinking about sin and death and brokenness, our main experience with all of those things isn't out there somewhere. It's right here in our own bodies. Our bodies become ground zero for our experience of sin. We feel it. We know it. We experience it it infects us, it limits us, it hinders us, it breaks us down, it wreaks havoc in our bodies. So what's the solution? What's the solution? Well, in verse 35 and 36, the Corinthians are saying, how how can the dead be raised? With what kind of body do they come? That body's terrible. We just need to, to, to get rid of it. We just need to escape it. That's one solution to just that There's no way that that's possible, that this body could be redeemed. It's kind of a, a, a bit of a mocking question that they're asking him with, oh, those dead bodies in the grave, how are those going to be raised? With what kind of body could possibly be raised from a dead body? And Paul's response to them is, you fool. You're a fool. And he's talking about fool in the most biblical sense of the word, which is a fool, according to the scriptures, is someone that does not take God into account. The fool says in his heart, There is no God. The fool has a simply naturalistic worldview. Friends, we are so influenced by that to this day. We are being trained and raised up every day to have a simply naturalistic worldview, to not take anything supernatural or spiritual into account, but to just simply view everything as natural. That's a fool, according to the scriptures. He calls them a fool because they do not take God into account. When you don't take God into account, your only answer to these bodies is one of two things. Ignore it completely and say it's the worst and just try to forget your body altogether or obsess over your body and do everything you possibly can to fix it and redeem it yourself. And we see this happening all throughout our world. Where we will run to surgery to enhance or change things about our body that we don't like or that hinder us or displease us. Or we will run to supplements to fill our bodies with extra things that can help it function better and grow better and be stronger. Or we will run to things like medicine to alleviate any ounce of pain in our bodies and to medicate our minds so that we don't worry about our bodies or feel the pain in our bodies. Or we will run to just make sure our bodies will be stronger and we go to the gym and we work out and we push and we push and we push so that we can just be stronger and more fit and more equipped and never have to experience weakness. Or some of us are just to a point where we just don't know what to do, so we'll cover our bodies so nobody sees them. Or we're so proud of them that we want to uncover them and make sure everybody can see them and affirm me. But the wise solution is found in verse 38. It says this You fool that don't take God into account, how can a dead body be resurrected? God gives it a body. God gives it a body. God's purposes are not thwarted by death. In fact, it's part of his design. It's part of God's design to give us a body fit for this age, like he says, like a seed, and then for us to die and to be resurrected with a new body that he gives us. That's God's design. How does it happen? God does it. That's how it happens. God does it. He's the one that created everything. It's really not hard for him. God gives it a body. And so the only answer to our broken bodies is God. The only, more than that, the only answer to our broken bodies is the broken body of Jesus. We said that earlier, that God himself put on a human body to come to this earth, and Jesus himself, his body was broken and resurrected. Jesus' actual body bore the weight of our sin. Jesus did not come in some floating, um, ethereal, non-physical, spiritual fog. He came as an actual, he came as God, fully God, and fully man in an actual human body. Which means he's not just a distant God that says, wow, it must be really tough have that body that you have he knows he's experienced it he has felt it himself he has literally in his body felt sorrow and pain and rejection he in his body felt the pressure of anxiety jesus in his body felt the empty ache of loneliness He felt the weakness of exhaustion. He felt what it was like to ache from hunger. He felt in his body what it was like to be wounded by his closest friends. He felt the gut-wrenching ache of those he loved dying. He felt the strike of a man's hand on his face. The flesh being ripped from his very body. He felt what it was like to have blood gushing out of him, losing strength every second. Jesus felt the sting of hateful words entering his ears. He felt the pain of being nailed to a cross. He felt in his body the weight of God's hatred and punishment for sin. All of it in his actual physical body. Jesus' body was broken for us so that anyone who would come to him and believe in him would be saved from their sins. And to not just be saved from our sins in our relationship with God, though that is primary and essential and incredible. But this morning we're talking about our bodies. He also saves us from the sin of infection in our bodies. The way that it has wreaked havoc on our physical bodies, on our experience as life as humans. Jesus' body was broken for you. It's literally what he says in Communion. This is the bread. It's my body which was broken for you. His body was broken so that you could be saved. And this morning, if you'd come to him and you'd put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus, not in any other name, not in any other religion, not in any other God, not in any other system, but you will come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you suffered in my place for my sins. And you tell me if I believe in you, I'll have my sins forgiven and I'll be saved. That can happen for you today. And when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, God is so gracious because he doesn't just forgive your sins, though that would be infinitely enough. He also then says, I promise you, you will have a resurrection body that's like mine because Jesus didn't stay dead. He felt all those things in his body. He experienced all those things in his physical, actual body. I love that the Bible emphasizes that. First Peter chapter 2 says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The whole reason he bore it in his body was to be a substitute for us, to say, I will feel these things so that you don't have to. I will take on the weight of the wrath of God on my shoulders, in my body, so that you never have to have that. So instead, you can die to sin and have newness of life, life abundant, life everlasting. And then Jesus physically rises with a body, but it's different. It's same, but different. In John chapter 20, if you're familiar with the story, after Jesus has resurrected from the dead, it says that they're all in a room, the disciples are in a room together, the doors are locked, and Jesus appears in the room. The Bible doesn't explain it any more than that, and you're like, come on, are you serious? He just appeared in the room. Did he walk through the walls? Did he like go through a secret trap door? You know, if you have a naturalistic worldview, um, if you, if, if, how did he do it? Did, what, what kind of body is this? We see that he eats, but he somehow appears in this room. Something's going on there. And he says to Thomas, because Thomas refuses to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And what does Jesus say to Thomas? Put your hands, put your, put your hands on my, on my scars. Feel my scars, feel my side that's been pierced. So Jesus has this new resurrected body that's different, but it's still got his scars. It's the same, but it's new. It's different. It's better. It's glorified. And it's in that body that he ascends back to heaven. So Jesus has a new resurrected, glorified body right now seated at the right hand of God. And he says to us, when you believe in me and you follow me, death isn't the end for your body. You will get a new body like my body. Philippians chapter 3 promises this to us. Look at what Philippians chapter 3 verse 21 says. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the promise for Christians. The body Jesus has is meant to be a first fruit, to say, what you see in me is coming for you. If you believe in me, if you follow me, the natural, decaying, dead, suffering, sick, full of cancer, full of fear, full of pain, full of tears, body is not the whole story for you. You're getting a new one, a better one. And it's a promise because Jesus has gone first. And he says it's coming for you too, which means, Christian, the future is physical. Some of us have this picture of heaven like we're, like we're these spiritual beings that float on clouds and we can like kind of bounce on them, right? Heaven is not non-physical, The future is physical. And I think we could probably say it's more physical. The future is physical. Look at what he says. This must have been shocking to the Corinthians. Because notice this, the contrast isn't, because he says you'll you'll have a a spiritual body, which when we hear spiritual, we think non-physical. But he's contrasting spiritual with natural. He says right now you have a natural body right? Verse 44, it's sown as a natural body. It's raised as a spiritual body. So the contrast isn't physical and non-physical. The contrast is natural and spiritual. It might be more helpful for us to think natural and supernatural. The future of your bodies is very physical, which would have been shocking to the Corinthians. A physical body in glory? Oh yeah. Look at what he says in verse 42 through 44 what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Man, that's the future for our bodies, bodies that literally never deteriorate. Do we not want that? I want that so badly that there is a day when we will be given brand new bodies that have no more deterioration, no more cancer. No more dementia, no more uh, MS, no more autism, no more ALS, no more allergies, no more disorders, no more shame for our bodies. There's no more sickness for your, bo- your future body, your physical real body. There will be no more shame. You will have no more marks that cause you to grieve on the inside and be filled with regret and sorrow. There will be no more aches and pains no more death, no more being ripped away from somebody, none of that, because we will be given bodies that are imperishable. Then he goes on as if that's not enough. It is sown in dishonor or lowliness, and it will be raised in glory. Glory. It will be sown in weakness, but it will be raised in power. You will have a body that is fully able to obey the Lord Jesus in everything. You will never be faced with that moment of, God, I want to obey you, but this just, uh, this temptation is too strong for me. I can't say no to it. You won't have this body that limits you from worshiping and glorifying Jesus. Jesus. You will be filled with power so that you have a body that's fit to be able to obey Him 24-7 for eternity and never get tired of doing it, never be limited by it. It was sown as a natural body, it will be raised as a spiritual body, which means we will bear in our bodies all that is godly and good and righteous and pure doesn't that sound good? It makes me think of the scene, if you've seen it, in the old, the old Disney film, Cinderella. You remember the story of Cinderella? She's got her sister, her stepsisters who are going to the ball, and they look all beautiful, and Cinderella's left in just drags. And she, suddenly, to, much to her happiness, her fairy godmother shows up and tells her she's going to the ball. But she looks at Cinderella's outfit. And she's like, "Mm, I don't think so. You, you You can't go in these clothes. We need to do something here. It's just not working. And so she transforms Cinderella. She goes from these raggedy, dirty, wet clothes to now she's got this gown and she's got the glass slippers and she's got the crown and she's got the hair and she's completely changed. And she says to her fairy godmother, it's like a wonderful dream has come true. Friends, so it will be for us, but so much more. So much more. God will give us the perfect body. Maybe not the perfect body in the sense of, I'll be 6'2", 185, a perfect <laughs> jawline and great muscle tone. But perfect in the sense that it's like Jesus. Jesus. Perfect in the sense that it's in all of the ways that matter most. It will be free from any and every infection of sin, perfectly able to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, perfectly able to move and rejoice, perfectly fit for an eternity of sinless joy. I can't wait for that day. The question becomes so, what do we do now? if this is the state of our natural bodies, they're broken, they're weak, and this is the state of our spiritual body that's to come and it's gonna be so great, well, what do I do in between? What do I do as I look to the day that that's gonna happen? Do I just suffer knowing that things will eventually be better? What do I do now? Well, that's where Paul goes in this last section here, starting in verse 45. He says a few things. He starts comparing Adam, the first human being, with Jesus, the, the better Adam, Adam being the representation of all humanity, an actual historical man, and Jesus being the representation of all the the new man that Christ is creating. And he compares the two and he says that Adam's body came to us and it brought death. It brought pain and sin. Adam's body came to us reflecting all the qualities of the earthly. Jesus' body came to us reflecting all the qualities of the earthly of the heavenly. The question is, if if that's our bodies came from Jesus, but or came from Adam, but Jesus is coming to us with this body that has all the qualities of the heavenly, and that's what we're going to get. How do we get there? How do we what do we do with these natural bodies that we've got from Adam? And there's kind of two options. I mentioned these earlier. One is to just forget your body. Despise it. Focus only on spiritual things. Just try to ignore it and forget it. The other one is to worship it and do everything in our power to keep him fresh. But I love where Paul goes in this line of thinking, all the way down to verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. There's some interesting stuff going on with this verse. Um, we won't get into the, to, into the weeds of it, but there's some um, there's some textual disagreement on one of the verbs in this last sentence where it says, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. The earliest and most consistent manuscript copies of this letter use that as a imperative verb. Use it to say, let us bear the the image of the man of heaven. Let us bear it. Both ideas are are true. We, We shall one day bear the image of Jesus. But I believe he's also calling us to bear it now. Both ideas are are true and good and right. But I think this parallels this, it it, it, cap ends this section really, really well because if you remember last week as Terrell was preaching for us in verse 32, he said, if there is no resurrection, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But because there is a resurrection for those that are in Christ, let us bear the image of the man of heaven. There is a call for us to not just look to the future and wait passively but to participate in longing to see that happen now. That reality to break in now. To say, I'm not just gonna sit passively and wait. I am called now to reflect the image of that Jesus today. For that to break in right now. It's essentially this. Become who you already are. This is coming for you this kind of future, this kind of body where you will perfectly reflect the image of God. So start it now. Walk in it now. That's not just a future thing. It is, a, it is something that is already true about you and not yet fully true about you. But there's the invitation to walk in it. And he calls Jesus, he says, Jesus became a life-giving spirit. He is a life-giving God who gives life to our bodies. Romans 8:11 bears witness to this. It says, "If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, Christian, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies." through his spirit who dwells in you. That verse could have said that he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your new resurrected bodies someday in the future. But it doesn't. It says it will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you now. This isn't just a future thing. We right now, though we, have, we struggle in this in-between, if I have this natural body, I one day will have this spiritual body. But right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a spirit-filled body. Right now, you have a spirit-filled body that day in and day out begins to reflect the image of Jesus better and better. Hopefully, that should be our experience. Which is really good news. Because without Jesus, our bodies are ground zero for our experience of sin. But when you believe in Jesus and the Spirit of God who raised him from the dead is in you, our bodies now become ground zero for our experience of redemption. Hallelujah. Our bodies now become ground zero for our foretaste of heaven. This is crazy. I don't know if you, I don't think anybody's understanding what I'm saying this morning. Your body, the body you have right now, through the, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you believe in Him and His spirit fills you. Your experience of resurrection life, newness of life, bearing the image of God, heaven, the kingdom of God, your experience of that can be, can be had in your body. This becomes the place where we experience the power of God, the goodness of God, our sanctification. Sometimes we get so caught up on, no, that's just spiritual stuff. That's the stuff that goes on like in my soul. The Bible doesn't doesn't believe that you are split into these categories. Your body is who you are. It's not all of who you are, but it's you. It's intrinsic to you. God wants to bring the kingdom of God, not just to your spiritual state of mind, but to you, your body, your whole being. So what does that look like? How How do we see that stuff break in now? Let me just give us a few practical things. How do we see more of this future for our bodies happen now? First one is this. As we present our bodies as instruments of righteousness to God, we'll see this happen more and more. The scriptures call us, present your bodies to God as an instrument of righteousness. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. This is what the natural body does. But you don't have just a natural body anymore. You have a spirit-filled body if you're in Christ. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. I mean, come to the Lord God with your body to say, not to say, I'm awesome. I've got everything you need, God. I'm the one you've been waiting for. Use me. No, no, no. Present yourself to him as one who's been brought from death to life. You did it, Jesus. You changed me. I put my faith and my trust in you and you resurrected my life. Present yourself to God as one who's been brought from death to life and your members, your body to God as instruments for righteousness. What a wonderful picture that is. That we are an instrument in God's hands, used for redemption. And we present ourselves to Him. But there's a choice for us. Some of us are stuck presenting our bodies to sin, to say, use me. Use me for unrighteousness. Use me to wreak havoc. But the call for those of us who are in Christ is to come to God, as those that have been resurrected and say, God, I'm yours. Use me how you please. Allow me to glorify you. Or as 1 Corinthians 6 would say, and talking in the context of sexual immorality, you have been purchased with a price to therefore glorify God in your body. Your body belongs to him. Use it to glorify him. The more and more that we do that, remembering The gospel, remembering, man, he's purchased my body. My body was dead and he made it alive. It's not even mine, it's his. And I present it to him. I get to be used by God in my body to bring redemption and joy and life wherever I go. to where the book of John would talk about um, that out of us would flow streams of living water, bringing life wherever we go. But there's this active action of presenting our bodies to God. Say, God, my body is not mine. It is yours. Use it as an instrument for righteousness. The second practical thing is this, is to offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. God's been so merciful to us. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice because God offered his body to us as a sacrifice for our sins. And is promising all those amazing things through his mercy. And he says, Come, bring your body to me as a living sacrifice. It's essentially to say, God, I am completely yours. I am yours to use as you see fit. And however, I can please you through my body, through my life, through my decisions, through where I live, through where I work, through how I use my mouth, through what I say, to where I go. God, my body belongs to you. I offer it as a sacrifice to you. I don't claim authority over it anymore. It's yours. Use it. To give God the authority to tell us It's good for you to use your body that way, and it's not good for you to use your body that way. This is an act of being a Christian. We say, God, I'm not in charge anymore. You are. The more we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, we will experience more and more life. It's counterintuitive, right? Because we hear sacrifice your body, and we hear nothing but death and loss and pain and lack of control. But when we know who God is, that he is a merciful God, we see what good comes from sacrifice. So how do we experience more of this resurrection body now? One, we present our bodies as instruments of righteousness. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And the last one is this, is that we look to God as the healer of our bodies, first and foremost. There's no one that cares about your body more than God. There's no one that cares about your body more than God. Your doctor does not care about your body more than God does. Your family does not care about your body more than God does. Your nurses, though they're the kindest people on earth, do not care about your body more than God does. You don't care about your body more than God does. Let us look to Him as the healer of our bodies. You know, there's a lot of different names for God throughout the Bible that we see from the scriptures. God gets called a lot of different names, but there's there's um, a unique power that comes when God says to His people in the scriptures when He tells them, "I am this." When God gives us His name, when He self-reveals His name, it comes with a ton of weight. The very first thing that God says to Abraham, the the, the very first name that God says to us, that he self-reveals to us, he says, I am El Shaddai in Hebrew. I am God Almighty. I am the God who is above all other gods, who has all the power and all of the might and all of the glory. There is no one like me. I am the highest of all beings. I am God Almighty. He reveals that to Abraham. And then it goes 500 years before God self-reveals anything else about himself, about his name. Now, the people of God learn different things about him. The people of God call him different things. They give him names. You're the God that sees me, the God that knows me, that provides for me. But it's 500 years before God self-reveals something else about his name. It's not until the book of Exodus when he's calling Moses in the burning bush. And he comes to Moses, and he tells Moses who he is. He says, I am. I am. Or it's it's simply this verb to be. That that that's who he is. He's just I I exist. I'm the self-existent one, I'm the self-sustaining one. I don't need anything from anyone ever. I'm sovereign. I'm above all things. I I self-exist, I self-sustain. That's who I am. And I'm sending you to go set my people free. And Moses says, Well, okay, well, I can't just say I am is sending me like what's your name? And that's where we get the, the Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh. He says, this, this word Yahweh is, uh, I, I am who I am. I, I am the self-existent, self-sustaining, all-sufficient, sovereign one. And that, that word, that, that, that name, Yahweh, becomes God's covenant personal name. He says, this is the name I want you to call me. And as we see all of God's names throughout the Bible, we will see that carried forward where it will say he is the Lord of hosts, which is the same word, Yahweh of hosts. And this name will become God's covenant name to tell his people, I'm with you always. You can bank on me. You can count on me. And so the people of Israel get led out of slavery in Egypt. And this is what they know about God. This is what God's told them about himself. He's God Almighty, and he's self-existent and self-sustaining. And he'll be with you. That's pretty much all God's told them about himself so far. Leads them out of the wilderness, or into the wilderness, sorry, out of Egypt into the wilderness, and they're thirsty. Of course they are. They're in the desert. They come upon this pool of water, and the name of it is Marah, because it's bitter water, and they can't drink it. And so they start grumbling and complaining, because it's not just the water that's bitter, it's the people that are bitter. They've been enslaved for 400 years. Of course they're bitter. And God tells Moses, grab a piece of wood and throw it in the water. And as he does, the water becomes sweet and the people can drink the water. And then God is ready to self-reveal the next thing about himself. This is the fourth thing God has revealed about himself to his people. Here's what he says in Exodus chapter 15. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. I am the Lord, your healer. Listen, this is not what I would have expected God to reveal right after he reveals he's God Almighty, he's a self-existent, self-sustaining one. He wants his people to know, basic fundamentals about who he is. The first thing I tell you after you come out of slavery for 400 years is this, I am your healer. And if you follow me, I'll put none of those diseases on you because I am your healer. I am not, he doesn't say I am a healer. I am the healer. He says I am your healer. He says this to his people, his covenant people, I God Almighty, self-existent, self-sustaining one, needs nothing from no one ever. I am your healer. Church, this is true today. God is your healer. He's your healer. He is not just generically a healer. He is a healer for his covenant people. Of course, does God heal people that aren't his covenant people? Yes, he's merciful and gracious. But he says, I am your healer. You need to believe that about who he is. Whose healer is he? I want you to say, just literally say it. Say our healer. Whose healer is he? Our healer. That's right. Whose healer is he? Our healer. He is your healer. One day he's promised to fully and completely and forever heal you in that new resurrected body. But in the ministry of Jesus, we see that stuff breaking in now. So here's the truth with our bodies right now that are broken and wounded, you don't just have to cope with your shame. That's not just your cross and burden to bear till the day that you die. You are invited to bring your shame to your healer. The wounds and the aches and the pains that you carry in your body, the call for you is not just to simply put your head down and say, well, I guess this is just what God has for me you are invited to bring them to your healer. He has promised to forgive your sins, to replace your shame, to mend what's broken, to heal that inner part of you that aches. Some of us are comfortable to just stop it right there. But God is also the healer of our bodies. He is the healer of of our bodies and we are invited to come to our healer with our sicknesses, with our afflictions, with our diseases, with our disorders, with our allergies, whatever it may be, we are invited to come to not just a healer, we go to a healer all the time. We go to doctors all the time, we go to WebMD all the time. We are invited to go to our healer, he's ours. He belongs to us, he's covenanted himself to us. Come to him for your healing. I'm not up here telling you, don't go to the doctor. That's not what I'm saying. This is who God promises to be to you and invites you. Come to me. Do you believe I love you? Do you believe I do these kinds of things? Do you believe that one day i promise I'll do it fully and completely? Do you believe that in the person and work of Jesus Christ, I am bringing the kingdom of God near to you now? I'm breaking it in now. What were markers of the kingdom of God coming? Isaiah the prophet told us. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk. That happens in Jesus. It's happening today. God is our healer. We are to pray for one another for healing. We're commanded to do that. We're told about who God is. In Psalm 103, he says, He is the God who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. This is what the Bible says about who God is and what he does. The question is, will we come to him? I guarantee you, to a person in this room today, there are things about our bodies we long to be healed. The question will be, who will you go to for healing? Who? Will you just sit with it? Will you run somewhere else? Will you self-medicate? Or Will you come to your healer and trust the goodness and the sovereignty of God? He loves us. He wants to minister to us, care for us. We live in this stage of the already and not yet. We are still feeling the effects of our broken natural bodies while also experiencing spirit-filled bodies that taste pieces of the resurrection. But God has promised transformation for us. He's promised it. It's coming. I can't wait for the day. It's hard to comprehend the totality of the type of transformation God has in store for our bodies, but it's coming, so let's give him our bodies now. Let's pray together.